Well, I'm going to speak to you about the most famous sentence in the Bible. Uh, for two reasons. One, it's your, one is it, it's your church anniversary, and it's the truths of this great, this great sentence which brought this, chi- this church into being. And this church has a message 54 years later, and its message can be summarized in this great sentence from the Bible. So what is the most famous sentence in the Bible? And I was getting ready for the service a few months ago and someone walked in, I was all alone in the church building and a man walked in, he'd not been in before and he, he, looked, a really, <laughs> he looked really tough. And he was about in his early 60s and he said to me, uh, I hope you don't mind, he said, but I'm, I'm a bit nervous which rather surprised me. He said, it's, it's 40 years, I, I, I haven't been to church, well, perhaps only once, I think, in the last 40 years, so I've come this morning, and I'm feeling nervous. And I said, why, why are you feeling nervous? He, he didn't look like the sort of fellow who would feel nervous. And he said, well, I don't know much about the Bible. He said, I, I used to go to church on and off when I was a boy, but I don't know much about the Bible, and I'm afraid... When you have the Bible reading, I won't be able to find the place. Then he said, because the only thing I know about the Bible is John 3.16. So I said to him, well, you probably know what matters then, don't you? Do you know what John 3.16 says? We read it in the passage. Chapter 3, verse 16 of John's Gospel. Do you know what it says? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have Eternal life. How many words is that? Guess? Oh, you're one of these churches, are you? (laughs) 26. 26 words. Now, 159 years ago, Abraham Lincoln gave his famous Gettysburg speech in November. That speech, which lasted two minutes, has shaped and formed every Western democracy for 159 years. 272 words have indirectly affected millions. But that's nothing compared with John 3.16. 26 words have directly affected tens of millions of people over these last 20 centuries. This is the most famous sentence in the Bible and some people would argue it's the most famous sentence in history. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, what's it really about? What's what's John 3.16 really about? Well, let's take it. For God, G, G, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, G, O, Son, G, O, S, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, G-O-S-P, but have 
Eternal, G-O-S-P-E. Life, G-O-S-P-E-L. Isn't that great, isn't it? We talk about the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John and we spell that with a capital G, a big G, because we're talking about that book and that book and that book and that book. But when we just use the word Gospel with no capital G and just use the word Gospel, we are talking about that great message which runs through all the 1,200 pages of your average Bible. There's a great message. To understand it fully, you need 1,200 pages. But to understand it enough, you only need 26 words. Isn't God kind? He summarizes all the big things he has to say to men and women and boys and girls down to a sentence which a three-year-old can learn. It ends with eternal life. Um, if you don't know the word eternal, it's a posh word. It just means everlasting. So I'm speaking to you about eternal life. Everlasting life. Because the message of the Bible is about eternal life everlasting life and you've got the outline down there and it looks like I'm going to preach for about eight hours and it's not going to be like that at all but first of all I'm going to talk to you about the need for eternal life and I was reading in the paper and there was this man who was walking along one of our coastal paths about four maybe five years ago but instead of looking out to sea which is what people normally do when they walked along a coastal path, he looked inland and he thought to himself, that looks interesting. And the paper's really annoying. It doesn't tell us uh, what he saw. I must go and have a look at that. So he left the coastal path and he walked across a very clumpy field with long grass and then fell into a disused well which nobody knew about and which was not on any map and he fell 30 feet into the soft sand at the bottom. If that was you, what would you do next? Yep, he checked his phone. <laughs> no signal. The sides were smooth with a bit of moss on, a bit damp. There was no way he could climb out. Nobody knew he was there. And nobody knew that the well was there. Here's my question. What would he have to do to perish? Nothing. As it happens, he did something. And... I better tell you what it is because somebody, somebody, you'll ask me on the way out anyway. He, nobody knew he was there. Nobody knew the well was there. But he only had one hope. Otherwise he was going to perish. So he shouted, Help! Help! 
Who's going to hear that? That's why it was in the paper. <laughs> there was somebody walking along the coastal path and they thought to themselves, that looks interesting. The paper's really annoying, you know, it doesn't tell us what it was. And he walked across a clumpy field with, with long grass and he, as he walked across this clumpy field, he heard, help! And the person was rescued. What do you have to do to perish? Nothing. Just stay as you are. God made you. You know that in your conscience. Your next heartbeat is in his hand. You know that in your conscience. You know that God is, and you know that God is in the same way as you know that you are. And God has said to you, you shall love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Have you? When you see a picture of your old school class, who do you look for first? Yeah? Yeah? We love ourselves first, don't we? Just stay like that and you'll perish because God said you should do exactly the opposite. You should love him first and you should love him completely and you should love him all the time and you should love him in everything you think and everything you do and everything you don't do. You should love him when you're eating. You should love him when you're sleeping. You should love him when you're studying. You should love him when you're working. You should love him when you're lying down. You should love him when you're standing up. You should love him in the morning. You should love him in the evening. You should love him in the night time and we don't. And he's the eternal God, so the offence is eternal. He's the infinite God, so the offence is infinite. And an infinite offence carries an infinite punishment, and that's the mess we're in. And to be lost, to, be, to perish, we just have to stay as we are, which is why this verse is in the Bible so that we shall not perish. Who's the giver then? That's number two now, if you're looking on the outline. Who's, who's, who's the giver of this everlasting life? Well, listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to talk to you about the giver of this everlasting life, this eternal life. It's, it's God. I think to talk about God, we better start in the garden. In the garden, there's a little puppy dog. It's been kept indoors, but now it's just old enough to go outside, and it's gone outside for the first time, and he's exploring the garden, and it's thinking to itself, this is my garden. And then it sees something which it thinks shouldn't be here. So it barks. It sees the moon. And it barks. I'm sure this pleased the neighbours. And it barks. And it barks. 
the next day, it goes out again in the evening. And there it is again, that face in the sky. And it barks. And it does that for a few days and the face gets smaller. And it barks. And the face gets smaller. And one day it goes out into the garden and there's no face at all. Just like some of you, you don't like the idea of God. So you bark. And you come up with all your ideas and all your notions and all your arguments and all your reasoning and all your prejudices and you bark and the idea of God gets less important and less important and less important and you've got to the point where you you can feel, you feel like you can do without him. Uh, There's a problem in this story. The puppy goes out a couple of weeks later, uh, what's that in the sky? It's very thin, just a tiny little crescent, and it barks. But the problem now is that the face gets bigger. Just like you, you wake up in the night and you know that God exists. You see your your newborn baby in in all that mess, but it's wonderful. And you know that God exists. You know. You know. You know, says somebody to me, see him. I think he's the most intelligent man I've ever met. The same day somebody said to me, Have you seen him? I think he's the most intelligent man I've ever met. (laughs) And somebody else said, he's, yes, it's him. It's it's Jean-Marc Berthoud. It's Jean-Marc Berthoud. He's the most intelligent man I've ever met. And by the way, I know Jean-Marc Berthoud and he's the most intelligent man I've ever met. (laughs) He's Swiss. He's a philosopher. He's an ethicist. He's a historian. He's well-schooled in medicine. Um, he's well known in the French speaking world but he was an atheist he taught in the Sorbonne which is a sort of French equivalent of Oxford or Cambridge and he lived with his girlfriend they weren't married and one day she had to go away to see a family member about something and he took her to the station and she got on the train and as the train moved away, he stood on the platform and he waved goodbye to her and he turned round and he said, at that moment, I knew that God existed. And he said to himself, that's stupid. You've spent 20 years or more despising the idea of God and teaching students to do the same and you believe that God exists, don't be so silly. So he walked along the platform a little bit more and then he stopped and he said, I knew, I just knew that God existed. So this is what he did. 
he stood on the platform and said in French, God, right now, I don't believe you exist. But if you do, you'll have to find me because I can never find you. Today, Jean-Marc Berthoud continues as a philosopher and an ethicist and a historian and all the other things he is. He's a, a voluminous writer. He produces great thick books three times a year or four times a year. And he's one of the most outspoken Christians in the French-speaking world. And it's this God, this eternal God, this God who is three and yet who is one, this God who made us, this God who will judge us, this God who upholds the universe he's made, the God who made the atom and the farthest galaxy, the God in whose presence I was born and you were born in his presence too, it is this God who sent into the world his Son, his one and only Son, that we, perishing people, may have eternal life. God is the source. It's his love which is the source. I was troubled by that when I was a young boy. God is love, it said in my Bible. God is love. But I knew that God was eternal and there was, there was a time when there was nothing but God. So how could God be love if, if there was nothing to love? And then I found out, of course, that God is God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, three who are God, but only one God. Wow. Can you get your head around that? And that God the Father loves God the Son and God the Spirit, and God the Son loves God the Father and God the Spirit, and God the Spirit loves God the Father and God the Son, and there's an electricity, and there's a, there's a chemistry, and there's a dimension, there's an inner explosion of love, which is going around the Godhead all the time, and that love now extends out to us. To give to us the same life as he has. Eternal life. So there's the need for this life and there's the giver of this life and there's the source of this life and now we're going to talk about the, the channel of this life. The water that comes to your house comes down a pipe. The electricity that comes to your house comes down a wire. The breath that goes into your lungs goes down through your mouth or nose. These are channels. How does God's love, which gives eternal life, reach you and me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Now, if I said to you, you've got a terrible, terrible disease... There's only one cure, but it works every time. You would say to me, ha, that's great, that's good news. But when I say to some people, we're perishing sinners, 
and there's only one way to be saved, but it works every time, they say to me, that's prejudice! How can you be so arrogant as to believe there's only one way to God, only one way to eternal life, only one way to be saved, only one way that matters, and that that one way is Jesus Christ? How can you be so arrogant as to say that? And yet when I say, you've got a terrible disease, there's only one cure, but it works every time, you say it's good news. Is that arrogant? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to come to God, you've got to come to Jesus. There's no way to God except through Jesus. Every other way is a blind alley. Every other way is a cul-de-sac. Every other way is a dark corridor. There's only one way to God. Only one way to God. But there is one way to God. <laughs> and there is one way to have eternal life. And it's all through Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man. And so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Think of it. God, man, two centers of consciousness. But only one center of self-consciousness. The Bible's profound, isn't it? Eternal life reaches you through Jesus Christ at a cost. Now my phone rang a few months ago. Do you remember me, said the voice? I said, yes. How come, he said. You haven't seen me for 36 years. I said, some people are unforgettable, <laughs> aren't they? Some of you I haven't seen for quite a long time and didn't forget you. <laughs> You're unforgettable. Can I come and see you, he said. I said, yes. So he came. I used to teach him in school. Mr. O, he said, I'm 51 now. And I've just become a dad for the first time. Would you like to see a picture of my son? I said, well, actually, I'd like to see a picture of your wife. So he showed me one picture of his wife. And then he produced this wallet of photographs. This is Oliver. This is Oliver standing. This is Oliver sitting. This is Oliver lying. This is Oliver sleeping. This is Oliver jumping. This is Oliver eating. This is Oliver drinking. This is Oliver playing. <laughs> Oliver, Oliver. <laughs> he loves that boy. He just loves him. He loves him. He loves him. What would he do if he had to give him up? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave him up, you know. And this is what my Bible says, word for word. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone, everyone to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I deserve an infinite punishment. We saw that earlier on. But he's the infinite son of God. He bore an infinite punishment one Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross. He had no sins of his own to die for. He did it for others. It's a terrible cost, you know. God the Father abandoned God the Son. And Martin Luther tried to understand that verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Says the Jesus on the cross. And Martin Luther paced up and down a day, two days, three days. He didn't eat. He didn't drink hardly at all, just a little. He hardly slept. His wife was worried. And all he could say to himself was, God forsaken by God. God forsaken by God. God forsaken by God. How can that be? But that's the way it is. That's the cost. That we may have eternal life. So who then are the beneficiaries of this everlasting, this eternal life? Well, what does the text say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, whoever, whoever. Are you a man... And you know what you've been doing. And you know how long you've been doing it. Would whoever fit you? Are you a mum? And you didn't know it was possible to be so tired and so impatient. Would whoever fit you? Are you a girl? How old are you? What are you good at? 
would whoever fit you are you a boy how old are you what are you thinking right now would whoever fit you <laughs> we have a great message you know and it doesn't shut anybody out no not one The message is for me and you and you and you and you and you and whoever. Whoever what? Here's the condition. Whoever believes. Do you believe in ghosts? The Bible doesn't use the word believe like that just to believe in the existence of something. This is the way the word... the. This is how the Bible uses the word believe. Here's a lady and she's got a... She's had to go to see the specialist. And the specialist in the hospital has spent 40 minutes with her. And it's the worst news possible. So she goes home to her husband and she's calm... And peaceful. Because her husband has spent 20 years researching exactly this problem. And he's come up with a cure. It involves surgery, extensive surgery. So she puts herself in the care, she entrusts herself entirely to the person she knows, loves and trusts. Believe in the Bible means to know, to believe to be true and to entrust yourself to. God sent Jesus. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus lives. Jesus has ascended. He sent his spirit to work in the world. His other self, if you like. We can know Jesus. We can come to Jesus. We can love Jesus. We can embrace in our hearts Jesus. We can rely upon Jesus Believe means I don't keep my distance from Jesus ever again. I entrust myself to him to save me, to rule me, to keep me, to provide for me, to discipline me and to bring me safely into eternal life. And I love him and trust him, and worship him, and call him Lord. So there's the need for this life, and the giver of it, and the source of it, and the channel of it, and the cost of it, and the beneficiaries of it, and the condition of having it, and we better close with 
the nature of this life. My Bible tells me eternal life. So I was 14, I might have been 13, but I think I was 14. I got on my bike, I rode out into the country where there was a massive outcrop of rock. I can't remember where I left my bike now, but I remember climbing up to the top of the rock. Good view, could see for miles. Lay on my back and looked up into the sky. I did this deliberately. And thought to myself, if I was in a space rocket and I went up from this point, what, what would I discover? I'd go past our planets and our, and our sun, go past the Milky Way and out of our galaxy. I'd go past all the other countless galaxies that we know about and I would go up and up and up into, and then when I came to the, if I hit the end, I would ask myself, what's on the other side? And I had to come off the rock because I was frightened. I realized that lying on that rock, I was on the edge of eternity. You can go up and 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 up. And there's no end to it. There's no end. There's no end. It frightened me. That's eternity in space. This verse is about eternity in time. The life of God in the soul of a man or woman forever. Good news, isn't it? Gospel. Let's sing together, shall we?